decide what I'm going to preach about today. Now, we're going to be in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 to 22. And we sort of touched on 15 last week, um, but it's a, a really good launch into this passage as well. You know, Hebrews is considered one of the bloodiest books in all the Bible, other than the Old Testament, which we see in Leviticus, uh, Exodus, and so forth. We see a lot of, a lot of blood rituals. Um, and b- believe it or not, this book causes many people to stumble in the Christian religion because they say, why would a God use blood rituals in so many different ways and so many different things? And so that's, I guess if we had a theme for today, that's what I want to sort of get to. Okay, but again, it's gonna, we're going to have to kind of go around. Now, if you weren't here last week, what we did is we talked about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And our writer is comparing both. I'm not going to reiterate all that, but I'm going to give you a really easy shorthand. You see, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament was about staying away from the presence of God in the temple because of his holiness. You could only come forth through that system. System of priests, system of law, and system of sacrifice. Now that was the old covenant. What our writer is trying to tell us here now is that old covenant was just a precursor for the new covenant. Now, what is this new covenant? We read about it in Jeremiah, but we also read about it right here, excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 8. So chapter 8, chapter 9, and part of chapter 10 are all about the new covenant. But what's the difference? The new covenant is not about staying away from God and only able to come so close, then I need a priest, then I need this sacrament. No, the new covenant is about drawing near to God because now God has put his laws and his, um, his statutes on our heart and on our mind. How does he do that? He now indwells in us. You see, so the writer is trying to get these people who are so caught up in the old way of living. And don't look at them and, and go, oh, man, why didn't these guys just make a commitment and get over it? No. This was their whole entire uh, culture. The Old Testament system was their cultus. It, had, it was just the only thing that they knew. It's like saying, well, you know, and I know with all the gender stuff, try to keep that out of it. But if somebody says to you, yeah, you know, uh, and you're a man, you're a woman. Uh, can you believe that? You know you're a man. But, um, but imagine this. That's how the Jewish people felt. When they said the Old Testament, you might as well have told them they were the opposite sex. They, are you kidding me? I'm so sure this is the way it is. But then this writer is saying, wait one second, let's dig. Let me show you what the Old Testament was actually all about. You see, all these laws and everything and sacrifices were pointing to the new covenant, to Christ and his ultimate sacrifice. And this new covenant in verse 15 is where we're going to start. 
It says, for this reason, meaning that Christ's blood is not only better as it relates to the efficacy of the blood, meaning how potent and what it could do, but it's also better because it's not here in the tabernacle on earth. His blood is now permanently in the heavenly temple over the mercy seat perpetually. And you know what that means? You can walk in. You don't need a priest. You don't need blood sacrifices. Christ did it and you can go move right in because of that blood. Now for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that, and I'm in 15, since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of of eternal inheritance. Now I'm going to creep through this, so we may just go one verse a little bit at a time here because there's so much here and I want to try to connect the dots. So again, this was a death that had to be taken place for the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant. Now, but wait a minute, Pat. Didn't they have blood of the the goats and the bulls and all that? Didn't that cover their sin? Well, yes, it covered it temporarily. As a, as, a, as a type of the ultimate blood of Christ. So there had to be a death that had to take place to cover all the sins of the Old Testament, all the sins of the Old Covenant people, even though they were going to the tabernacle and they were going and covering the mercy seat and doing all that stuff. It didn't take away their transgression, meaning it didn't take, it didn't satisfy the truth and justice of God. See, God doesn't arbitrarily say, you know what, I'm really holy and I want to make a way people can come to me, so let's kill kill animals. Let's just make it blood. And then God lives up to that standard. That's not what it was. Everything you see in the Bible is an expression of God's loving, selfless character. And so how is a sacrificial lamb, how is a goat, and that's blood, that, when his blood spills, it atones for sin. How does that work? Well, the life is in the blood. You are living right now because of something in your blood. Could it, is it just the blood? Yes. But it's also something else. You have this four or five pound flesh beating in your chest. What's causing that to happen? The life that's in your blood, the life that is actually part of God himself. He breathed life into us as as we read with Adam and Eve. I don't know about you, but blood used to... I think it's from childhood, I don't know, but we, when we see blood, what do we think of? We go to the doctor and he's going to take that blood. I still get queasy from it. I don't know what it's from. Maybe it's from the, you know, the, the, the 1970 doctors who used to just come in with the big needles 
charging you like this and screaming, ah, that's what it felt like. That's how I remember it. But, but really when we see blood, what does it tell us? Pain. Suffering. Worry. Why am I bleeding? Sacrifice. Death. Death. And it especially means death and reminds us of death as it relates to the covenant that God made. Because what he's saying here is that a death has taken place for the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant. Those who have been called may receive the promise of of that eternal inheritance. So it's for everybody in this sense that didn't have their sins covered, that were alive at this time and everybody back. But what about us? Are we covered under that old covenant? Not really, but yes. And let me explain that. You see, each of us may not live under the Old Testament law, obviously. We're not the community of Israel. We're not doing all those things. But each of us lives under the demands of God's holiness. Now, God's holiness is, again, part of his character. This isn't something that he designed himself to have. It's who he is. He's the eternal God, and it's his holiness. Now, in the Garden of Eden, we were told not to obey. Adam, our representative, sinned and piled us in that one pile of Sinners that are separated from God. Every single person born of women. Full of days, or, is, or um, is, 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 all their days are full of trouble. Why, Job says? Because of sin. Because of sin. So we're sort of all, even though we're born now, outside of Christ, we're still under the same penalty as the Old Testament people and saints were. They needed the blood of Christ. They needed to walk by faith and they needed to trust in the living God. And that's what they did. So perfect obedience is required of you. Can you do that? No. We are born into sin. We violated the covenant with Adam. But what happens? Then we get exposed to God's law. We get exposed to this book. That starts to show us how holy and how amazing and how loving God is and how unholy, unamazing, and unlovely we can be. I notice I said we can be, right? Why? Because each of us in our hearts has the same capacity to do the same evil that you think you could never even come close to. And I hope you believe that. And if you don't, you should believe it. And part of our sin problem is that we don't believe it. Okay, so we have that depth. We need that covering. But when we hear the gospel, and we're faced with the law in the expectation, we hear the gospel, Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and defeated death. He made a new 
he's, he's made new. He's the firstborn of the new creation. Something that even the own, the world, the creation groans in anticipation of the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Because God is remaking everything. And now you become a part of that. You become into the covenant now when you believe by faith. You see the difference? I could come near to God in the new covenant because of the work God is doing in me. And he's given me faith to believe. He's given me grace. He's caused me to walk in his statues. Now I, I want to be a part of this project that he's doing now. I want to be a part of the renewal. Well, how do I do that? Well, it's real simple. Love God, love your neighbor, and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that so simple? All right, I'll see you later. That's simple, but it's complicated too, because we, now that we're part of the new covenant, our responsibility of, our, of the covenant is not like the old, where we have to do certain rituals in order to be right with God. Our new responsibility now is one law, faith. That's the badge of the new covenant. That's how you get in, if you want to say it that way. Through believing in Jesus Christ. Not having faith in faith. Well, I have a lot of faith. I have a lot. I could do this. I know I could do this. Yeah, that's good. That's having faith in faith. I'm talking about having faith in God. I know I can't do this. I know I fall short. I know that I am unable to be the person that God has called me to be. That's faith. Isn't it upside down? Imagine going on a job interview. How you doing? Could you tell me a little about yourself? Well, I'm a broken individual. I uh, just walk by, by faith and uh, I'm just a dirty sinner and I need Christ <laughs> Okay, sure, thank you. Leave your application. We'll, we'll talk to you later, right? Well, no, what do we want to do? No, I'm a hard worker. My biggest weak point is that I uh, work too hard. That's, uh, you know, you know, we get into all these, these, you know, well, tell me, you know, what's your biggest weak point? Oh, yeah, my biggest weak point is I'm just, oh, just so paranoid about being on time every day. My wife is telling me, you got to stop, you know. But anyway, so we believe by faith. That's what we're supposed to do. That's your responsibility. And it means to be a broken, contrite, humbled individual who knows who he is. A human, a creature. You're not God. Don't try to be Jesus. You're not Jesus. Jesus is your Lord and King. He wants you to live for him, not be him. He wants you to walk as he walked but not be him. Because if you try to be perfect, you are going to fail. And you're going to call me and say, Pastor Pat, um, I can't take it anymore. I, I can't take this really. I can't take it. I, I, I'm, I don't know what to do. And most people that are struggling to follow Christ are trying to do it in their own strength. I know that's a Christianese phrase, right? Oh, I'm doing it in my own strength, own strength. What I let go. No, no. What I mean by that is, you're, you're, you're not trying to physically do it in your own strength, but you're relying on your own goodness and ability. And you're, and you're giving God a little room too. You know, help me out when I need it, Lord. No. Lay it down. Just surrender. And now you're part of that fierce army of the Lord. Now he can use you. 
But as soon as you have all you all filled up, see, that's what Jesus did. He emptied himself and he was God. Now we wrote here and well, we wrote, we, we have, I have written here, but uh, we had on the screen on our Old Testament reading, Exodus 24. And that's what we're going to start to get, get. We're going to get into him talking about that here. I know I've digressed a little bit, but let's go back to verse 16. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. That's interesting. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant, what we read today, okay, on the, on the screen, was not inaugurated without blood. What happened in Exodus 24 is that God had just delivered Israel. And he pulled them out into the wilderness and he brought them to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. Same thing. And they all gathered around, as you can imagine. God said, draw them close. But only the 70 elders can come closer and only the priest and Moses uh, and only Moses could go even closer than that. And God gave them the whole law. They wrote the whole law down. This is before the Ten Commandments. God gave them the covenant. And then Moses sprinkled it with what? With blood. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats and with water and scarlet wool and hyssop. And he sprinkled them both the book itself and the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which God commanded. You notice it was water too. And just as a side note, remember in first John, he says, Hey, I saw the water. Was it, there was one of John's book. I saw the water and the blood. Okay, and he's pointing back to this cleansing ritual. Now, why does a death? I want to just cover this here as this is confusing, especially in this translation. For where a covenant is, there must uh, verse 16, where a covenant is, there must be the death of the one who made it. The word covenant in Hebrews diatheke, and it can mean will like a will. I'm leaving my will. Okay, I'm writing my will. Or it can mean testament or covenant. Got that? So what the writer's doing is he's not necessarily going into some deep teaching. He's using a metaphor here for what Christ did in a different way so we can understand it. Now, you remember what I just said? God came down. He, 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 he gave the law to the people. Moses sanctified and sprinkled everything with blood. Then Moses went up for 40 days and 40 nights and got the Ten Commandments and got all the instructions for the tabernacle. And that's what the rest of Exodus is about, building the tabernacle that we've been talking about. Okay, so what he's actually saying is, is to compare that is instead of God giving them the law at the mountain, you go into your attorney's office. And you give your will and testament. And he makes it and he prepares it for you. Now, does that do anything? No. It only That covenant only comes into effect once there's a death of that person who made that covenant. Got it? 
So he's trying to say that this whole old system, the temple, the you know, tabernacle, temple, law, all those things had to go. And Jesus was the one who was the testator. He's the one who wrote the will. And then he died. This is what he's trying to tell us. And then you now, you and I now get the inheritance. What's the inheritance? Grace, eternal life, the new covenant. So he's trying to say, look, Jesus died. And now that gave the opportunity for that new covenant to come, for the will to be distributed, right? You all got the mail this week, right? Congratulations, you've been left more than any amount of money could ever say. You are in the covenant of God. You are a child of Jesus Christ. That's your inheritance. You probably didn't get that letter. But I just gave it to you. Because that's what it means. Now, again... It's, he gave the, he, he, he did this, but why blood? Again, the life is in the blood. But you see, when a testor, a testator, when somebody that left a will, he doesn't have to shed his blood or her blood. That's just the example. Why is blood required with a covenant with God? Because again, the life is in the blood. But what this blood signifies is the key. Okay, now this is it here. The only way to atone for sin, as we know, with God is blood. But the, the blood indicates what? In this case, there has to be a death, right? Even the old covenant. What was the inheritance in the old covenant? Well, he went down, he gave them the law. They sprinkled it with blood. Now that covenant was executed. But what does it mean? Why the blood? And this is why a lot of people, when they stumble at this chapter, they miss this. Because they say, God is a bloody God. Why does he want to kill? Why does he want to do that? No, we're missing it. It's his grace that gave and provided that animal's blood. It's his grace that's created the system that allowed us to come in and worship in the old covenant. But more importantly, that blood of that lamb, that blood of that goat or bull or whatever it is, shows the selfless, self-giving love of God in Christ. Because each one of us can't look at that cross and say, God doesn't love me. Well, the same thing with those sacrifices. Those people should have, if they had, if they were doing it the right way and they looked at it right, they said, this right here, this blood should be my blood. This blood on the altar should be mine. But God is giving me the grace and he's allowing me to cover it. But that rushes forward to Christ. So when you see blood, in the Bible, think of God's incredible selfless love that he gave his very own son, his very own son's blood. He poured it out before the Lord. And you notice here too that in Exodus 24, when Moses goes up 
Oh, I'm sorry, before he goes up, he sprinkles what? He sprinkles the people, and then he takes the blood and pours it in the basin, as God commanded. And I can't help but seeing a picture there of what Christ's blood and what our belief in Christ actually does. You see, Christ's blood in the altar on the mercy seat in heaven perpetually covers your sins forever. There's nothing, again, that you could do to take that back. But the one thing that, <clears throat> but the one thing that is at the very, very heart of this is that God had poured this out before time even began. This was all planned out. This isn't God sitting there shuffling around going, you know, what, what about this? What about that? The other really big picture here, and I don't have much time to, to go into this, but it, I have to mention it because, again, it's the beautiful wisdom of God. But not just the wisdom of God, but how meticulously God's character is so consistent with who he is, his, his justice. Listen to this. So <clears throat> we read in Jeremiah 3.8. I probably shouldn't go here because you're going to get confused but I'm going to go here anyway. I'm underestimating. You see, that's a trick. You know, oh, I'll show him. I'm going to really understand. Right. Anyway, Jeremiah 3.8. And I saw all that was there. And I saw all the adulteries of faithless, faithless Israel. I had sent her away and I've given her a writ of divorce. Did you know that? That God divorced Israel? Yeah. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear. She went and was a harlot also. Israel was polluted with foreign lovers. Now, in Leviticus 20, if a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, God gave Israel a divorce for adultery. <clears throat> we read in Revelation. <clears throat> now, of course, the, the adulteress was stoned, as we know. But we read in Revelation that, <clears throat> I'll just quote this from Ken Gentry, who's an expert on the, on the, on the topic. Now, I know everybody has different views of Revelation, <clears throat> But there is one right view, okay? And I'm not saying that I have it. Um, but I definitely don't believe the book of Revelation is something that is all future. I believe, especially up to chapter 19, it talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. The punishment in God's law for adultery is death. This is Dr. Kenneth Gentry. Again, Leviticus 22, 2010. Which in biblical laws by stoning... We witness, thus we witness enormous hailstones raining down in Jerusalem in Revelation 16. From the sky, huge hailstones of about 100 pounds fell upon the men. Josephus talks about it too. The stones that were cast were of the weight of a talent. It's about 60, 60 to 100 pounds. The blow they gave was no way to be sustained, not only by those that stood in the way, but by those who were beyond them for a great place. These were bombs coming down. 
which we can't help but see. And again, if you go through that, you go through a, a, a revelation, Israel is called the harlot. And she gets stoned and she dies. Now we know from Paul that the law says that when a husband or a wife dies, the person that's married to them is no longer bound. And the amazing thing, so they can remarry, right? The amazing thing about this whole thing which God did by being this testator, by being this death, is that he actually, this death of his spouse is him satisfying the law of divorce with his people. Not by putting away his wife, because God hates divorce, but by dying for her, freeing her from that marriage, if you will, and then rising again, rising her again, making her pure, spotless, and at the same time satisfying his justice. So this goes on a big, big picture. Jesus died for his bride. That makes him to be now he can marry another, but not another because there's only one people of God. It was his way of purifying his, his bride. And I just think that's so amazing that he, to the very, he didn't have to do that, but to follow his justice, to follow his uh, truth, he did it all together. Now, this is the same thing for you and I. Your spirit can't be joined together as one with Christ if you're still married to another spouse. You, your spirit can't be joined as one if you're still married to the world in your way. It can't, become, it can't come together. And like he says, don't be yoked with unbelievers. You know, you can't. You can't yoke. The world, fleshly desires, divorce them. Therefore, my brethren, you were also made to die to the law, Romans 7, 4, through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. You see, that blood represents not just the blood of the people Israel, right? That blood represents our blood. But how much more when we look at the sacrifice of Christ? Blood, the life is in the blood. Do you know that life doesn't end? God made it. You're, you will live forever. When you stand before God, your blood may, if you don't know Christ and you don't believe in his blood and what he did, then your blood is that that's also signifying what's going to happen to us. Our blood has to pay the debt. And because our blood is impotent compared to anything comes close to Christ, it's going to take eternity to pay for it. God is just. He doesn't want that. No, I shouldn't say that because I don't know God's thoughts. He knows what's perfect. I don't know that. But I do know that he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants you to come to him fully 
but trusting in that blood. And this is, this is urgent. This is so urgent because, again, we don't know. I think God give, made all these things so that we have constant reminders. Blood, hearsts, funerals, <clears throat> pain. Don't allow these things to overcome you. Instead, trust in the Lord. Know that you are going to come to that door one day. There's, there's nobody escapes it. But you don't have to fear because you have Christ. He that believes in me, though he dies, that he shall live. You're not going to die in the way that people, you're going to pass from this life into the amazing presence of God. But if you don't choose Christ, God, his just perfect character cannot be changed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blood. I pray, Father, that you would make, make us, help us understand the depths of your amazing gospel, Lord. Lord, I, I look forward to that day, and I know so many here as well. As we'll be, we will know as we are known. But until then, Lord, let us not get caught up in all the, all the whys. Let's just give us the ability to believe you by faith and intellectual faith, Lord. Does, uh, cause us to study your word more, to dig deeper, to meditate on it, and most important, to commune with you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.